I'm Hayley Stevens, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You are listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 66. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey san, hey san! Are we on Route 66 yet? Yes, we are getting our kicks. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, you know, all good rock and roll music. We just heard today that Chuck Berry died. I'm so sad. He was 90, so it wasn't unexpected. Wow. Amazing. But what a guy. What a guy. He hasn't been very active for a while. Very active. You know, I, there, uh, there are some YouTube things. He was performing into a very high age uh doing all the things he i mean he was mm. he's he was the man yeah. yeah yeah it winds from chicago to la yeah it More does and two thousand miles all the way <laughs> okay welcome to the obscure music reference <laughs> show okay i just i just uh, now i just can't can't get it out of my head no right but apart from that Everything's good. We are. Uh, I'm. I'm very busy preparing for the uh, Swedish skeptics yearly meeting, which is on Saturday, the twenty fifth. Any important decisions to make? Uh, I, I th- well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, should be fairly regular, but you never know of these meetings. Who, who somebody may come with a very special, unexpected request, and then there's debates forever. You know how it is. Uh, <laughs> is this like a general assembly? Yes, yes, it's the annual mm-hmm. meeting for uh, everybody. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But it'll be yeah. good. It will. We'll have. Well, we'll start already on the on uh, Friday with uh, skeptics in the pub, pseudoscience in the therapy room by a psychologist and criminologist. Very interesting. Then we will have uh, speeches, talks, and th- and things all of Saturday, interrupted for the yearly meeting, and then it'll be dinner at the dinner at night, and then there will be a visit to the. the Malmö Museum in uh, on the Sunday, so it'll be exciting. Full weekend almost. Yeah, sounds amazing. Mm, it really does. It really does. It's great. Good. Anything else in the making? Oh well, yeah, uh, but actually, I've been uh, talking to a person, a reporter from Snopes, Snopes.com, and I think we will see an interview with that person later on. Very nice. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Very nice. Okay. Yeah, looking forward to that. Oh, and I I just took him on uh, the task of organizing um, March for Science in Hungary in Budapest. Mm-hmm. Go, Andres. Good. <laughs> the, the the funny thing about it is that I'm probably not gonna be able to make it, so it's it's gonna go without me. But I'm I'm organizing it. <laughs> At least it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's actually a group of four in the organizing committee, mm-hmm. and uh, we are expecting another couple of people joining in. So, yeah, and uh, it's amazing. In less than 12 hours, the Facebook page got more than 200 likes. 
good. So it's really growing. Yeah, it's uh, it's happening in Sweden as well now. Uh, there will be marches in Gothenburg and in Stockholm. Mm. I won't be able to attend, and there will be several organizations actually collaborating to make this happen. But I, I think it can be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, a couple of people approached us for the link I offered to mm-hmm. the Vaxed uh, movie. And uh, I'm afraid that Vaxed is is being promoted like crazy all across uh, the world. And we heard that Ireland is the next yeah. uh, place where, where they're going to set foot. Yeah, the skeptic community, the international skeptic community is called by... Uh, Fiona O'Leary to to do something about that. Yeah. So I I hope some people will be able to help. Uh so more on that later uh on the next episode uh where we're going to talk about uh, skepticism related news as well. But if you want to contact us uh for links um uh, it's still available the offer still stands um and I I really want to make it available to skeptics so that we know what we are up against. So if you want to contact us you can get in touch by emailing us email address is info at theesp.eu um you can follow us on twitter twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu you can also like us on facebook and um, you can leave us a message on our website which is theesp.eu and, and if you get our podcast via itunes please leave us a five star review yeah yeah and you, of course you can also if you're on the website go to and look at the events that's coming up in europe full of events uh, filled up until end of april at the moment but I'll, we will keep on uh, putting new things there as they come along and maybe even you can give us a little bit of a donation if you want to that's also on the web pi- web page at theesp.eu yes that's correct thank you very much i think it's time for us to move on to our interview which is the the main feature of today's episode with hayley stevens On every other episode, we usually interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. Today, our guest is British paranormal investigator Hayley Stevens. She's widely known in the skeptic community as a ghost specialist, but she investigates all kinds of weird things. She has published in several of the most recognized skeptical journals and gives frequent talks at events throughout the UK and internationally. She's a former co-host of the Righteous Indignation and Be Reasonable podcasts and now runs her own show called The Spooktator. In 2015, she won the Occam's Award in the Best Skeptic Blog category with her blog Hayley is a Ghost. Hayley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, unbelievable. When I approached you with the request to come for an interview on the show, it was... In October. I know, <laughs> I yes. Wow. Um, I, I can remember flies. you approaching. And then when you messaged me more recently, I was like, oh, God, we, we'd already discussed this like six months ago. <laughs> so, so finally, we have you here. Yay. Usually, Andras always asks, because we usually interview people with foreign languages, and they say, can you please 
pronounce the name of your thing, your organization, your blog in in your local language. So can you please do that for us, Haley? <laughs> <laughs> My blog is called Haley is a Ghost. Wow, oh, that's almost nice. that's almost understandable. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and we probably didn't butcher it that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did really, really well. <laughs> As we usually do with other other languages. Um, yeah, but my question is, where does the name of the block come from? <laughs> it's it's a really bad story. <laughs> um, basically, I used to believe in in ghosts and so on, and was a bit of a, a ghost hunter so I, I literally looked for ghosts and um, in about 2007 I started to lose my belief and I thought it would be interesting to have a blog on which I could kind of document the things that I was learning and you know what I was, was up to and so I wanted a blog called Haley is a Ghost Hunter and I went to buy the URL and the domain name and I just typed in Haley is a Ghost rather than Haley is a ghost hunter and I bought that by accident and so yeah <laughs> it's just kind of stuck around but actually it's quite catchy and, and people yeah. really like it so yeah, yeah there you right. go yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wish I had a better story you know no, like it's good oh there, there's a story about a ghost called Haley, but no no, no it's just a typo I think it's a great story yeah. Yeah. But, but you used to believe in these things you just said so what, what, what happened to change your mind well I think I like to think that I've always been open minded and obviously one of the most important factors about being a skeptic is that when you're presented with new information uh, if it's good information if there's evidence to support it that you change your mind and in 2005 I started ghost hunting um, was a believer in ghosts and the more that I researched ghosts and the more that I went looking for them, the more information I found that kind of countered the idea that these strange occurrences that we were investigating were caused by some supernatural or paranormal entity. And the information that kind of countered that made more sense. So, you know, I read like The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins and Why People Believe Weird Things by Michael Shermer and things, books like this. and. I kind of applied the information in them to what we were doing and I realized that we were kind of I was kind of barking at the wrong tree and changed my approach from there really so as more information became available um yeah it just kind of I just kind of adapted what I believed and I mean we also we caught um the landlord of a pub faking some activity and the methodology that we were using because I was part of a team and the methodologies that we were using and the things we were doing when we went to places that were alleged to be haunted, uh, they were quite nonsense techniques. And I realized that maybe we had been focusing on the wrong things. So rather than standing in the room in the dark, maybe we should have had the lights on so that we could see what was happening. And maybe we were asking the wrong questions, um, mm. which allow people to trick us. And maybe we were just missing the more kind of rational explanations for what was happening. That's pretty interesting because a lot of people who, who dig into these things, they never get convinced that they're wrong. So what do you think? What What's the difference between you and, and those people? I, I guess I'm just special. No, <laughs> no. Um, I, I don't think it's that rare, to be honest. Um, I kind of have this kind of weird position where I'm a skeptic, but I also work with people who wouldn't dream of identifying as skeptics. And I think, you know, 
when rational information is presented to them, they will take it on board. Uh, they might not lose their belief, but, you know, they'll stop using certain methods and so on. And, you know, obviously when somebody has a belief in something like ghosts or maybe something more religious, there is a backstory. And before you can really lose a belief in something, you have to work through that backstory and kind of come to terms with different things. So there are other people, I think, who have lost their beliefs. So I don't think it's that rare a thing. I think it probably does happen more than we realise. Um, I suspect that a lot of people who were ghost hunters who lose a belief in ghosts probably don't carry on kind of with the whole ghost thing. Uh, that's Maybe that's what sets me apart from other people is that I carried on. Uh, even though I didn't believe in ghosts anymore. Um, what do you find so attractive about the paranormal and what drove you into believing in ghosts in the first place? Well, I grew up in a house that I thought was haunted. Um, so we moved into uh, this house when I was a newborn baby and we, I moved out when I was 18. And the whole time that we lived there, um, I believed that it was haunted so did my mum, and I think my brother may have had strange experiences too. Uh, my dad has always been quite a sceptical person. I don't think he had any experiences as such. But living in this house, growing up with the things happening that we thought were ghosts, it was scary, but it was also quite intriguing. And the older that I got, when I became a teenager, um, you know, I started reading more about the paranormal and we got a dial-up modem <laughs> so I could go online and talk to other people who had an interest in the paranormal and that's kind of it was online forums and there were these websites I, I suspect they're still around but at the time um, I was about 14 or 15 and you could go on these websites and they were run by people who had haunted homes or they they maybe worked in a library that was said to be haunted and they would set up webcams in these haunted places and you could watch these webcams to see if you could see a ghost. And there were whole communities around these websites. And so I would spend a lot of time on there talking to people who believed in ghosts and I got a lot of ideas from them. And then there was paranormal television shows that became really popular and I kind of copied the methods they were using, decided to set up my own paranormal team. Um, and yet, so despite kind of not doing those methods anymore and not believing in those things, I think there's still something quite valid about um, exploring the experiences that people report having. You know, you do get um, the sensationalist reports in the news and you get people making claims that sound extremely too good to be true. But if you put those aside for a moment, there are people out there who do have genuinely strange experiences. And trying to get to the bottom of those can be really interesting. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from people who have these experiences about why human beings have these experiences, what causes them. And I think it tells us a lot about uh, the way in which we perceive the world around us. So you did mention that your brother has had some strange experiences in the house that you grew up in. Have you been able to talk to him and try to get to the bottom of uh, why he had those experiences and uh, rationally explain those? My brother and I, and I think my mum, had strange experiences. Uh, but obviously my brother and I were children at the time that we had them. So a lot of it was probably down to suggestion. And, you know, some of the things that we interpreted as being paranormal were just mundane things. And what you find happens is that when somebody 
is told that a building is haunted. Uh, maybe they work there or they live there or they spend time there. Uh, they start to put ordinary things down to the ghost. So it could just be a door, a door creaks or a floorboard pops or, you know, um, there's a strange smell. And rather than it just ignoring it or just you wouldn't normally, you know, take note of something. But because you've got the context of the place being haunted, suddenly it becomes important and it becomes part of the haunting. And I think that a lot of the things we experience were down to that, really. You mentioned a couple of books that uh, kind of turned you over to the other side. <laughs> Which other side? <laughs> <laughs> side of reason. I think that can be a reference to X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, when, when I was a ghost hunter, um, we used to kind of refer to ghosts as existing on the other side so mm. you would say you know the, okay. the afterlife or the other right. side okay. in another realm so i read on your uh website actually that uh, the times called you the scully end of the the x-files spectrum that's right which yeah. is quite a nice thing to say um yeah. because yeah. that's that's the the rational approach um everyone who who followed x-files knows that there was a bit of a duality represented by the two characters so first of all does x-files have anything to do with anything you <sighs> you have gone through <laughs> i'm pretty sure you experienced that growing up uh, the, the, yeah, the the series yeah. so mm -hmm. did it have an effect on you and and your later endeavors well um my parents used to watch the x-files and i can remember the opening sequence frightening me as a child. Oh. Um, I couldn't listen to the theme tune well in, until I was, you know, a teenager without, you know, it freaking me out a little bit. Um, and I think that was a lot to do with the fact that at a young age, well, at young ages, children can sometimes find it difficult to make see the difference between reality and fiction. So when I used to watch the X-Files opening sequence, I think in my mind as a child, I thought that the kind of the video clips were real. <laughs> so the kind of the ghostly figure walking down the hallway, I thought that was real and it freaked me out. And somehow I associated that with the music. And if I heard the music, that was that was it. I had a, like a, a freak out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I have since watched the X-Files and I, I do love it. But what... What I find interesting about the X-Files is that the concepts they talk about are kind of that they're like the paranormal concepts with added unexplainedness to them. So it's not just mm -hmm. about kind of astral projection. It's about murdering somebody whilst astrally projecting. And, you know, so it's like this super, super paranormal or, mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah. But I don't know if that influenced me. I would say I was probably more influenced by Scooby-Doo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a big fan of Scooby-Doo as a child. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apart from the books you've read, etc., how did you train to become an investigator? Do you have any scientific training? No, I don't. And so all of the stuff that I do is kind of stuff that I've learned from other people. And... So I don't really have any um, experience from, you know, a career in science or research career that I can then turn to the cases that I investigate. So 
um, that kind of sets me apart from a lot of the other experts in the field who actually do have that um, expert training. And so I tend to, I think I identify that as, as maybe, you know, a weakness. And so I kind of try and overcompensate for that by making sure that um, my methodologies and my plans, my research plans and code of ethics and everything is up to scratch before I actually go and investigate a case. Mm -hmm. One of the last cases that I worked on actually was for Ben Radford. Um, there's a, there was a ghost photo in the UK that he wanted to investigate, but obviously he's not here in the UK. So he asked me if I could look into it. And, you know, that kind of, you know, I have a lot of respect for Ben as a researcher. And so I felt like the kind of the added pressure there a little bit that I didn't want to let um, Ben down. So I made sure that, you know, when I went, I had all the equipment I might need and I had a, a plan set out of what I was going to do. And, you know, I kind of second guessed it and read it over and over to ensure that whatever I did whilst on site was, you know, as rational and scientific as possible. But also, um, I think when it comes to investigating these claims, it does help to have a scientific background, but also, you know, just to be a skeptic or to be able to rationally investigate claims, you don't necessarily need to be an, um, an expert or to have some career element to it. It's, you know, as long as you assess the claims and ensure that you're keeping an open mind, I think you, you can still go in there and, and explore claims that people are making. I think it's a very important point that you made here. And it, it was a point made by um, several other skeptics, including the amazing James Brandy, who who is not uh, a scientist and has, has not had scientific uh, training um, either. But he he frequently says that even scientists can be fooled yeah, yeah. because they are not experts in how people are fooled and how, how they're being misled by by yeah. these, these claims so yeah i think it's a special skill set that a skeptic has that can be added to a scientific training or or can be completely separate from it yeah and you know um i think as well as an investigator i do work alone but i do so knowing that there is a network of people that i can contact for mm, advice yeah. or help um and I think probably coming to scepticism from a position of belief um, as someone who was involved in the ghost hunting scene probably means that I'm able to offer advice to people who've never experienced that as well, who do have a scientific background. So I think it, it kind of complements in a way. Um, yeah. And I think a large part of scepticism is knowing your weaknesses but also not seeing them as weaknesses, but as, as areas that can either be improved or that you need to take kind of extra time to, to deal with. Very nicely put. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always emailing people going, what do I do with this? What do you think about this? Um, and by doing that, actually, I, I've learned quite a lot over the years. I'm pretty sure you get this question a lot, but we have to ask, have you ever seen anything that shook your world? <laughs> um. I have seen some strange things and I, I don't think that's that weird when you consider the, the things that I'm investigating are weird things. So when people have these strange experiences, there are underlying causes for them. And as an investigator, that's what I try and find. 
And if it's environmental or social, then those are things that I could then be exposed to myself whilst investigating them. So, yeah, I have experienced some strange things and I've seen a number of strange things that to this day I haven't been able to explain um, that other people will probably call them ghosts. Um, I'm not so happy to make that distinction, um, believe it or not. Uh, as a skeptic, I'm not happy to say I saw a ghost. I think the most vivid one that kind of comes to mind is this kind of pillar of light that man well I say manifested I hate using words that ghost hunters used um to describe this stuff, but it kind of manifested in the middle of this room and moved across the room and then seemed to just disappear and there were a number of people who saw that and to this day, I haven't been able to find a satisfactory explanation. There are certain um, theories that we have. It could have been a car headlight, but we're not sure where the car would have been coming from. Um, there wasn't a projector in the room that we were aware of. Maybe there was a hidden projector. When, you know, that There are possibilities, but these are things that actually we can't, you can't go back in time. So you can't freeze it on that moment and then look around the room and this is the problem actually with a lot of ghost hunts um and people who report having strange experiences is that that you know these experiences happen in a moment and they only have a very small amount of information about what's going on around them and so yeah i'm exposed to that same limitation in that i only know what i saw but i don't know what was going on around me that could have caused what i saw or what i heard there was another time when I was at a location and somebody pulled my arm as though trying to get my attention from behind me, like a child, maybe. And um, I turned around and there was nobody there. And the only other person in the room with me was on the other side of the room. And I said to him, did you just pull my arm? And he was like, no, I'm been over here the whole time. And I can't quite explain that one. But the kind of the skeptic in me is saying, oh, it was muscle spasm. Okay. Or maybe he did pull my arm. Maybe he's managed to run across the room in two seconds. I don't know. Yeah, pulled um, a prank on you. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's got like a really long stick in his pocket and he kind of poked my arm and then... I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I can't say for sure that it was a muscle spasm. I can't say for sure that it was the guy playing a prank on me. Um, I can't say for sure what it was. Um, but that doesn't mean that that is therefore evidence of a ghost and mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of ghost hunters kind of fall foul is that they'll have an ex experience or they'll see something or they'll hear something maybe they catch something a bit weird on camera and they can't find an explanation for it mm -hmm. and they say oh this is unexplainable therefore it must be a ghost not realizing of course that they're saying it's unexplainable and has an explanation so they're making a leap of logic and you know they don't often don't realize they're doing that it seems to be like um, a very honest and open approach being very friendly and open-minded to the people reporting these incidents and i found is it your old website oh, no. uh, that goes rather friendly skeptic oh god yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. That's so my old even though blog. even though that name suggests that um, your approach doesn't necessarily hurt the feelings of, of the people um, uh, being involved in the investigations. Still, it appears that some psychics really hate you 
<laughs> from the guts. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. what happened? Why is that? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm extremely skeptical of psychics, and no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the paranormal, I have friends um, who believe in the paranormal. I have I'm friendly with people online who believe in some quite radical ideas and I have a very much each to their own approach to it um and I think people accept my skeptical position from you know a, a similar position of respect in a way yeah, yeah. um but when it comes to psychics I've always been quite not intolerant because I don't consider myself to be an intolerant person but I've always been more skeptical or more happily skeptical of psychics um Mm. i used to believe in psychics and i have vivid memories of going to psychic shows and that you know the utter disappointment that i would experience when nothing came through and I, i remember going to one psychic show and the i think it was a woman on stage and she was allegedly connecting with the spirit and I I was convinced from the details that it was my grandfather and so I put my hand up I was in the very front row and I put my hand up and she wasn't picking on me and I was like this is bizarre why it's obviously my grandfather why isn't she picking on me and then I glanced around and there were about 50 other people with their hands up and that was a real light bulb moment for me um because you know if that's if those details are my grandfather, why have all these other people got their hands up? How could it possibly be for them as well? I, I, you know, I do get annoyed when psychics hide behind entertainment disclaimers when what they're doing on stage is not entertainment, and I find it um, quite patronising when certain psychics start talking out against the practice of other psychics while themselves not proving that they can do what they claim they can do. Uh, in the UK, Sally Morgan, for example, refuses to undergo any controlled testing of her ability. You know, it. I don't know, it just annoys me because they are kind of toying with people's emotions. Mm-hmm. And the reason that Chip Coffee doesn't like me is because there was um, an American ghost hunter who I think they were found to have done something criminal. I can't remember the details of what it was. And Chip Coffee was kind of, um, you know, he was going on this crusade about how how shameful it was and how sad it was when he himself is one of the most questionable people out there, really. There are some real questions about the things that um, Coffee claims to be able to do. So I saw him um, doing this on Twitter and I kind of just made a, a tweet about um, how maybe he should have seen it coming, which, you know, it's that it's an awful joke to make about psychics that they should have seen something coming. It's like the most, <laughs> the most basic joke you can make. It's, it's awful. Yeah. Um, it's worthy of Michael Marshall. It's that bad, <laughs> but um, I made that joke and then he must have like searched his name on Twitter because he then came across my tweet and he started to get quite defensive and I got defensive back and you know, it's kind of, we had this kind of, we had crosswords and then he caught me an asshole. So, um, mm. yeah, so I've now got that <laughs> testimonial on my website. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm quite proud of that one. Uh, any special relationship with Sally Morgan? No. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I can't remember when, but a number of years ago I set up a, in response to 
some of the questionable claims and practice by Sally Morgan, I created something called Project Barnum, um, which was a website resource um, that helped people spot when a psychic was maybe doing stuff that wasn't psychic. So they were using um, tricks or techniques to make it look like they were using psychic abilities to get their readings and so on. But when it comes to psychics, I do feel... Um, as though no matter what you do, how how often you challenge their claims or uh, do campaigns or psychic challenges, I don't think you'll ever kind of crack that nut. I think people will always believe in psychics. And as skeptics, um, I think you have to be careful not to turn the, the fans of those psychics back more towards the psychic because the moment that you start... Um, questioning the psychic or making claims about how the psychic is not psychic um the fans of that psychic will experience um like cognitive dissonance and it will kind of embolden their belief in the psychic and the readings they've had and actually skeptics can really lose out i think if they don't kind of approach that carefully so i kind of wound down what i was doing with project barnum um and yeah i kind of focus more on the paranormal stuff now Speaking of of uh, being, uh, you know, at odds with some people uh, about guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia, you had a bit of a clash with this community of Wikipedia editors. What was that about? Yeah, I um, I had issues with the way in which guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia was communicating about what they were doing. I work as part of, you know, the wider communities of people who believe in. Uh, ghosts and monsters and UFOs and you know all sorts of strange things and I do so in a respectful manner so although we don't agree with one another we you know we still communicate respectfully and so on and a number of people who believe in strange ideas were reacting negatively to this kind of campaign of um, editing certain pages on Wikipedia um, Mm. that dealt with the more paranormal and supernatural subjects everything from ESP through to uh, ghosts and so on and there was a bit of a conspiracy about it um, which was unfounded but it kind of got me curious so I started to explore what um, they were doing and um, the the thing that has always struck me about Wikipedia is the kind of the openness about what's happening on the site and you know why it's being edited who's editing it um and their sources and so on and guerrilla skepticism on wikipedia i don't know if they still do but at the time they had like a secret forum um they actually called it a secret forum and it was on this forum that they were discussing what was going to be edited and by who and so on and to me that didn't seem in keeping with the spirit of wikipedia and it seemed a little bit them and us. And then at the QED con, I can't remember which year it was. Maybe it was 2014. But the people who kind of are responsible for guerrilla skepticism, they did talks and panels. And the things being said, um, they just didn't really sit or gel well with the way that I've always approached um, skeptical activism and communicating with people who are believers. Um, I've always kind of felt that if you can communicate with people who believe in the ideas that you're criticizing or debunking, if you can do that in a way that 
doesn't have any ill feeling, you know, or negativity. And if you can help people kind of think about those ideas in a rational manner as a result of that, then I think that's a positive thing. And there are some skeptics who don't really seem to care what result their skeptical activism has. So when they're kind of critiquing certain ideas, they don't really care if it offends anybody. I mean, you know, I, obviously nobody has the right to not be offended. But, you know, when it comes to alternative medicine and things, I think we have to be um, a little bit more sympathetic. You have to have some sympathy towards the people who are using these things and these methods and medicines and who have these belief in ghosts and psychics and so on, because nobody just believes. There's always some kind of background as to why they believe. And I think if you just start dismissing claims without considering the human element to them, then personally, I don't really see the point. Um, so, yeah, I wrote about my thoughts on mm. guerrilla scepticism and people disagreed. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was, you know, there was some debate. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, can it can it be that there was even a bit of a, a mutual misunderstanding of uh, of what the goals are? Um, I don't know. Out of the three of us, two have been involved in uh, the work of guerrilla skepticism, and we had discussions about that uh, among ourselves as well. Um, whether it's it's a good name at all, uh, because it has a, a bad connotation, and uh, but basically what it's all about is. Is, is providing as wikipedia is an encyclopedia yeah. uh everyone is trying to provide factual information there uh so this is why for example when it comes to uh wikipedia articles on um i think it, it, well, the most recent one was on acupuncture that it was called pseudoscience by editors and it was widely criticized by the community of believers and acupuncturists. Yeah, yeah. That um, and that it's know. it's called outright pseudoscience, but it's um, very well referenced as well within the article. So, which I think is really important because you know ultimately, and I'm not saying that we have to, you know, be really careful not to hurt anybody's feelings because we are all adults and. If you believe in bad ideas, then, you know, they are going to be challenged. And that's fine, I think. It was just, I think, um, for example, and I don't think, I don't know if guerrilla scepticism did this, but a lot of skeptics, for example, are just outright dismissive of parapsychology um, because they think it's, it's total nonsense. And actually, there is some valid research being done there. And I think when it comes to the more paranormal, things there is i mean as an investigator myself i find that you know i have a code of ethics because the people that i'm dealing with who have these belief systems they can you know there can be harm that can be done if you approach the case incorrectly and and just from the communities that i'm part of i could see that people were being upset and i thought it was a real shame to have such because i think the you know the sourcing on wikipedia and things like that is really important and I, I think that's really, really important. And it was just a, sh a shame to see it being done in a way that was actually getting people's backs up. And when it comes to paranormal research, there are people who are believers and who are also researchers that, you know, sometimes I work with them or I go to them for information. Um, 
and suddenly the kind of the discourse was skeptics versus believers and it, it made it quite difficult and I think the whole kind of drama around um, guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia came as a result of a tweet that I made basically saying that it felt as though the, the campaign was making it quite hard for those of us who actually work with believers who suddenly were like oh skeptics are just have a secret forum on which they're they're controlling the information on the internet and blah 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 now that's obviously kind of a it's not like that but I could see how it was perceived like that and when I kind of brought that up people just you know the reaction was we don't care we're just this information is correct and that's all that matters and yes that does matter but also I think when it comes to these belief systems they they're not they don't just exist in a void there are people behind them and i think actually it can be really rewarding to understand why people believe in what they do and mm-hmm. to have discourse with them um and actually you know that's how personally i changed my belief in ghosts and psychics and so on was um through talking to people and then reading the things they suggested i read going to the websites they suggested i went to and and that's how i learned more and this is going back to what I was saying about people who believe in psychics. When you start criticizing the psychic, if you don't do so in the correct manner, you can actually do more harm than good by kind of making the community of um, psychic fans. They suddenly become uh, more insular and they kind of rally around the psychic more. So I think the way in which skeptics do communicate with people, especially the people that believe in the things that we're rationalizing or debunking i think you know we have to consider that when when we're reaching out and when we're speaking out and through the the things we do and it seems like an unfair responsibility to have but actually you know if you can make one person change their mind or reconsider things and i think that's a success um and it's not necessarily the person who's shouting back going no rupert sheldrake is a psychic it's like the the silent observer is is the person on the sidelines whose mind isn't quite made up and if if we can approach the subject in a way that you know is well mannered and makes sense and isn't emotional and isn't done in a way that looks a bit cloak and daggers then i think you know we can make a huge difference Mm. i'm pretty sure wikipedia tends to be that because it tends to be factual and lacking all kinds of different emotions uh that's what any kind of encyclopedia is supposed to be right yeah absolutely um yeah it was i think there was a huge conspiracy around um rupert sheldrake's page oh yeah which i, I don't <laughs> think gorilla skeptics actually had anything to do with but it was once that happened yeah um I mean, you cannot, you cannot do anything with Rupert Sheldrake without suffering the wrath of his fans, um, <laughs> you know. And I do accept that um, my my criticisms of Gorilla Skeptics were um, not, I don't think, completely misplaced, but a lot of it was based on misunderstanding. And mm. you know, I've spoken to people, um, Leon, and other people who do the editing, and I completely understand now that you know it is. A noble cause and it's you know the work that's being done is great and the translation work that's being done is great um it was just about 
the, the kind of the paranormal community and, and the way they're perceiving it. So mm. yeah, I I do support the work that's being done on Wikipedia. I think it's really important. But yeah, it was once the <laughs> once the Rupert Sheldrake thing happened. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I once made a joke about Rupert Sheldrake barking up the wrong tree mm-hmm. because he did the research with a dog, and oh my god, I I had oh that's a good joke then. Thank you. Thank you. Nobody, nobody appreciated it at the time, and I had like a month of abuse. <laughs> a mu- oh, honestly, it was horrendous. It was the most abuse I've ever had on my blog. Huh. Um, and yeah, I just made a pun about barking up trees. And- yeah. Amazing. <sighs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but he's yeah. Rupert Sheldrake is like like a paranormal god. It's yeah. It's ridiculous. Haley, you were involved in the production of two podcasts um, that were based on similar ethical principles as what you just explained, The Righteous Indignation and Be Reasonable. Can you tell us what happened to those projects? Yeah, um, so Righteous Indignation um, was co-hosted by myself, uh, Tristan Swell, who is a fellow skeptic paranormal researcher um, and 14, and Michael Marshall, of the Merseyside Skeptic Society and the Good Thinking Society. And the three of us would discuss weird news stories um, that had been in headlines recently. Um, and we would interview people. Um, some of them were skeptics and scientists, and some of them were paranormalists and people who were kind of on the other side of the fence. Um, so conspiracy theorists, and um, we interviewed Jim Humble, who is the guy who promotes the Miracle Mineral Solution, oh, yeah. things like that. So we we would interview people who make incredible claims about what they believed. And I think in 2012 the show came to an end. We had, you know, like Tristan had children. I got a job. Marsh was doing loads of skeptical activism stuff. So we just didn't have the time. To carry it on so we ended that show and a little later marsh and i were talking about how we kind of missed the show uh, especially the element where we would interview people who had alternative belief systems and so under the banner of the merseyside skeptic society we um, launched be reasonable which is um it's basically the interview section so we would interview people who had these strange beliefs and about you know we would interview them about their beliefs and why they believe it and what they think of alternative arguments and so on um that show still um happens marsh does that now as a solo Mm -hmm. show i stepped back from that show just because i really enjoyed doing it it can be really rewarding and you learn a lot um from talking to people who have alternative points of view but i i found the one thing that i really admire about marsh is that he is just really patient and it's not because like it, there's a reward at the end of doing it. He, I think he is genuinely interested in why people believe what they believe. And, um, you know, he, he can really engage with them. And I found that quite challenging at times. Um, you know, I do engage with people who believe in strange ideas as part of my research anyway. But I found it quite challenging um, yeah. to talk to to the people we were interviewing. So yeah, Marsh now continues that, and yeah, he's he's doing really really well with it. I think it's brilliant. I'm I'm pretty sure that he even enjoys enjoys doing it with a straight face. Um, yeah, and it's 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 weird, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and you know, I'm you know I think back to the Jim Humble 
um, interview that we did, um, that was uh, Marsh and myself, um, for the Righteous Indignation podcast. And I knew all about the claims that he was making and the things that he believed. But speaking to him, <laughs> um, it gives you this whole other level of what he's doing because he really believes it. And you can think, oh, this person's just a crank and they're just winding people up to get money. You know, they're, they're just selling snake oil and they know it. But then when you start to talk to them, you suddenly realize, hang on, actually, this guy really believes what he's saying. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of, it's really revealing. And it, <laughs> it's kind of scary, actually. I remember coming out of the Jim Humble interview. We did it online and we ended the interview. And I remember just feeling really, really kind of sick just at the claims that he was making about, um, you know, uh, this man had a uh, cancerous growth on his neck and he put the solution on it and then it just you could see it crumbling away and just the things he was saying were just so disturbing and yet we now knew what Jim Humble actually thought it wasn't just an article that was written up we you know we could hear him speaking about mm -hmm. it and you can yeah. hear the emotion in his voice and what he really thinks and yeah I think you know that that just reveals so much but now you're running your own show the spooktator uh, yes. What is that about? And what can we hear about on the show? Well, The Spectator is a little less serious um, than the other shows. And um, we kind of, we review paranormal news stories and look at what, you know, could have caused them. So one of the big problems at the moment, well, it's always been a problem, to be honest, but is kind of um, companies using ghosts as a PR tool. Mm -hmm. things like that so we kind of explore things like that so every month um we we do an episode exploring the news stories from the previous month um we are just about to kind of change the way in, we, in which we do the show so there is a kind of a format change coming up because we, we want to take on some bigger topics so uh yeah but it, it's really fun um you've got it's hosted by uh myself a paranormal researcher uh, we've got a magician who does um, psychic trickery, so he kind of reads minds and stuff. Um, we've got a journalist, a horror author, and a comedian. So, uh, but he's the comedian is a Ghostbusters fanatic, and um, so we. Uh, he used to work with Derek Okora and stuff like that. So we've got um, five hosts, and they've all got some involvement in in the paranormal or in the media in some way, and we will bring something new to the table. By the way, I just realised we haven't mentioned what uh, your blog is about. <laughs> we did mention that it received the Occam's Award. Yes. So if, if someone is interested, what is on offer there? I blog about paranormal research. Um, one of the things that I talk about the most is the ethics of paranormal research. Mm -hmm. And how, if you use uh, pseudoscientific methods and so on, it can be unethical and unscientific. Um, I also kind of write a lot about things that have been in the media. And when I do case studies that I can share with the public, um, I write about them on there. So the most recent one was Torquay Museum. They had a photograph that was taken there. And I went down to Torquay and I tried to recreate the photo, and I managed to find an explanation for that one. Mm. And I... 
do book reviews and interviews and stuff on there. Uh, yeah, I do all sorts, really. It was intended to be a journal of kind of my journey <laughs> into discovering the sceptical side of ghost research. And I kind of launched it back in 2010. And I never really imagined that it would become as popular as it is Um it kind of gets it gets read by skeptics but it also gets read by people who believe in ghosts and monsters and stuff so i have quite a varied audience which means that the comment section could be quite fun um you get proper debates happening in the comments which is really nice actually i think it's good to have that kind of discourse so what's next uh, anything in the making what's the next project what are you working on well at the moment i'm studying for a degree in psychology when i first became involved in ghost research i was really interested in ghosts as you might guess um, and then the more that I did, the more I became interested in humans and the way in which humans perceive things. And as the years have gone on, um, I never had the chance when I was younger to study at university. So I um, last year I enrolled with the Open University and um, I'm working towards a degree in psychology, hoping that, you know, um, I'll be able to use that in my research and also, you know, I'll be able to study psychology more and maybe go into that um, as a researcher. People keep telling me that I need to write a book about ghost research, but I'm not so sure. So I think for now, I'm just going to continue blogging. We shall see. I do remember a, a book that was quite a hit and it started out as a blog. Um, it was The Martian. So who knows ah, what's, what's, what's going to yeah. come out of your blog? I know. It's um the blog's been going for a while now and blogging is no longer apparently well apparently blogging is no longer considered the in thing um but I'm I'm quite sentimental about my blog there's <laughs> quite a lot of information on there and I kind of try and make it a resource so that if other people who are paranormal researchers um suddenly have that moment that I have where they're like hang on a minute this is this is wrong, I'm doing the wrong thing, you know, hopefully they'll be able to find all the information they need on my blog. But I do get contacted by uh, a lot of academics and the media, people like that, asking for my opinion on things or, or my advice. And time and time again, they keep saying, oh, you should write a book, this is really useful. But if you know, I'm just rubbish at doing things and meeting deadlines and actually completing projects. So if I can just do that, you know, the occasional blog post it's a lot easier to manage <laughs> i should probably just get more organized or something i, I don't know uh, if someone wants to follow your work or, or invite you to give a talk uh, where can they find you the best thing is to go through the blog haleyisaghost.co.uk but you can also get me on twitter at Haley stevens um and there is a facebook page as well um which is just Haley is a ghost and i post stuff on there you can get hold of me via those um, but if people are interested in the Spooktator podcast, it's available on most, you know, um, iTunes and so on. But you can also find all the back episodes at spooktator.co.uk. Cool. Sounds cool. All right. I'm afraid this has been all we had time for this week. But it's been lovely uh, having you on the show, Hayley. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. It's been really fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. And uh, hope to to meet you again at some point, either at um, QED. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Or are you coming over to? Are planning to come over to uh, Poland this this uh, year? Well, I was hoping to, but um, I've got the I'm studying at the moment, and I've just um, 
I was working part-time, which meant I had more time to do other things, but now I'm working full-time. Okay. So it's, you know, balancing all that out. So maybe, but I'm, I'll definitely be at QED. That, that's always a, a feature in my calendar. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, see you at QED, if not before that. If not before, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Thank you and very you. much. Thank you. All the best. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. I really enjoyed that interview. Yeah, actually. it was good. Yeah, very good. No, Haley's great. She's she's a very fun personality, and I, I like what she's doing. And uh, it's interesting to hear yeah her talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have a lot of other interviews. As uh, Pontus mentioned earlier, we might ha- might gonna have an interview with uh, someone from Snopes.com. That is something to look forward to. But uh, we'll make sure that uh, we're covering other European countries as well, because there's still lots that we haven't mentioned and we haven't uh, had anyone on the show uh, from. Actually, I'd, I'd, if, if there any, uh, this is a special request, just thought uh, hit me the other day. If there's anybody on Iceland that's working or uh, listening oh, to, yeah. to this show. I'd like to talk to somebody from Iceland. Yeah. Because they are full of these mythical uh, creatures and you cannot build roads because there's a special uh, stone in the middle so they have to dra- draw the, 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 the road around it. That'll be interesting. If, we, if there are any skeptics in Iceland, please get in touch with us and we'd like to interview you. And if you don't want to do um, interviews through Skype or um, only in person, then we're more than happy to to go come and visit you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So this is uh, what our episode sixty six was about. It's a spooky number for an episode featuring uh, a ghost investigator. Hmm. Thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, fun as always, guys. Thanks. Very fun. Yes. Thank you. And until next week, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rubb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe You are listening Still waiting to for the ES- fiber. Oh, sorry. Still waiting for what? Get fiber installed. That, that is unbelievable. It's been going on for a year. Yes. You've been waiting for that for a year. I have. I'm still waiting. It'll be before June, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> on every other episode, we... <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> Good work. Good work, Anders. This is the yep, thing I love you. about podcasts is that <laughs> people who listen to podcasts don't know what happens during the recording. And yeah. then the finished product is so good and they don't realize. Well, we actually, we actually let them know because we have the outtakes at the end. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> okay, we, just... started, um, we started doing live shows and it really shows up, like how unprofessional <laughs> we actually are. Oh, God. <laughs>